0: First of all, congrats on uh, on the book. Well, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun to do and uh, a lot of great memories. I, I can imagine. I wanted to ask you this because you've you've been in the sports journalism world uh, for a while, um, and I'm always I'm always surprised that, uh, especially 1972. Still holds so much for so many people, uh, and I'm curious if we're if we're seeing that memory of 1972 dwindle for some of the, I guess, younger demographic of, of sports fans or hockey fans, or is there still reverence for that team, even though so many people were not around?
1: I think there's still reverence, but uh, you know, just giving age dynamic. Uh, it's understandable that some of the luster would come off um, from the standpoint of you know, a lot of us are getting older. A lot of the players are moving on. Yeah. There's not as many people to be out there talking about the series and explain to those who weren't around or haven't taken the time to uh, to study it, to just the impact and the significance and the mag- magnitude of it from a hockey perspective, from a cultural perspective, um you know it's just it touched on so many levels and you know as as things evolve you get you know 72 was to one generation then all of a sudden 87 comes along yeah that's to another generation and 2010 with Sid and the golden rule is to another generation so we've been fortunate that we've had a lot of generational hockey moments those where were you moments yeah Uh, but 72 should always be special because it was the first and there'll never be another like it.
0: Yeah. And there was also, you know, you talk about uh, the golden goal. Um, I was unfortunately not able, even though it's not too many years ago, was unable to watch that. Although my wife did and my family did because I was in the hospital under the knife doing, getting uh, uh my liver operated on. Uh, and I saw photos uh, that my wife shared with me of them walking up and down the streets, high-fiving everybody after, after the goal, and they go, oh, I missed it, <laughs> you know, because I remember watching all the other hockey games in the hospital, except for that one. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a memory that uh, I'll, I'll have to remember, you know, through stories, uh, and maybe years from now, somebody will write a book, uh, another book about about that time. But 72 is also important because of the politics surrounding everything, right? The, you know, you you mentioned two other series. It didn't, to me, didn't seem to have that extra, uh, something special, je je ne sais quoi, uh, that 72 had.
1: No, as I say, I mean, it was the first. It was the first time our best players played their best players. I mean, for years, uh, we'd always only been able to send our best amateur players over to, to world championships and Olympics to play, uh, you know, every, all the world, but the Soviets were dominating for years. They called themselves amateurs, but they weren't. They're were all enlisted by and large in the army and their their posting was to the hockey rink and they trained year round. and. Uh, and they got results because of it and there was great frustration on our end because of that and they actually wanted this series too because they wanted to test themselves on another level and and show the world how good they were but yeah the politics of the day you know the cold war was going on it was uh uh, you know it was capitalism versus communism communism it was uh, the west versus the east it was us versus them and You know, we didn't know much about the Soviets back then, us being just the ordinary person um, because, you know, you didn't have the world web, you didn't have, you know, network news the way it is today and social media the way it is today. They were a black and white image, a scary black and white image on the nightly news because it was this communist country behind the Iron Curtain playing games with the world. And they scared us and they scared us for good reason on the political level. So we, we didn't know that much about them other than to fear them. And so you had that undercurrent uh, throughout the series as well, especially when it, it wasn't the laughter that everybody thought, when it became more dramatic and it became very personal. And it wasn't just bragging rights about two hockey teams. It was just bragging rights about two countries. And in the world then, and I'm not sure it applies as much now, but back in the world then, especially because of that great divide between you know, the Eastern Bloc countries and the, the communisms and all, communism and all that is when you had big events like a, an Olympics or a world championships um, or this that, you know, if you could put an athlete out there and put him on a podium and put a gold medal around them while you're celebrating a great athlete, but it was... Countries viewed as that was a PR vehicle for them to tell them, yeah. well, look how good we are. Our athletes are better. Our way of life is better. Our politics is better. All of that. I mean, even in the, the back uh, in 72, as the series was going on, um, you know, the world was transfixed on, of all things, a chess match, a world chess match, because it was between an American Bobby Fischer and a Soviet Boris yeah. Mastin, two grandmasters. Who pays attention to chess other than people who are really involved in chess? But casual people were paying attention to the chess results every day or to the match results every day because it was us versus them. So that yeah. was the mindset of the day. And I don't know that you can necessarily reproduce that now.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, Scott, if you've ever I, I always think of this. I don't know whether you've you've thought of it over or maybe written about it uh, in in your time as a sports journalist, but the role that nationalism plays in in sports everywhere, uh, from the national anthem at the beginning of a baseball game or a hockey game or a basketball game, to the national anthem at the Olympics, to the crowd cheering for their country, Um, you know, even if it's, for example, uh, an MMA bout between somebody from the U.S. and somebody from Brazil, uh, cheering USA, USA. Uh, I'm, I'm. It's it's fascinating that you talked about you know the the chess tournament. Why do people? Why why do we wrap ourselves up in flags for all of these sporting competitions? Do you figure?
1: I guess you take pride in your country. I mean, if you're happy being living (laughs) in Canada, you take pride in your country and you want it to be viewed as the best. And I guess there is still, when you put it that way, still that similar type of sentiment that, well, if we go and win the gold medal at the Olympics, we're showing the world how good Canada is, not just our hockey players, but our country. Uh, So I guess that sentiment does still exist. I don't think it has quite the same uh passion because of the politics of the day uh and Mm -hmm. what what we didn't know about other people back then uh we know so much more now but yeah i mean it's funny because you say it i often say with the world junior tournament uh you know canadians get all excited over christmas and the new years massive television audiences and and all the rest of it and yet once it stops those same people wouldn't walk across the street to go into a junior rink to watch a game. They should. Oh, you're so right. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. They don't do it.
0: Yeah. And,
1: but you put that Canadian flag on the front of that sweater, and then everything changes. So it's all our kids,
0: alike. Our okay. kids versus your kids. Yeah, you're so true. That's so true. Um, I'm wondering, you, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, we thought it was going to be a cakewalk. Um, I'm wondering if we would remember... 1972 differently if on either side it was a sweep? Would it have been as special to Canadians if if there was a sweep or um, would it hold, would it still be special if for example um, the Soviets uh, beat us in the tournament?
1: And I say us like I played. <laughs> yeah I don't think uh, I don't think Canadians would remember it quite as passionately as, as sure. we have over the years because Nobody likes to remember losses, yeah. Uh, yeah especially yeah. in a series that you were expected to win and ex- expected to win easily, handily, um, so it wouldn't have quite the same impact. And, you know, Ken Dryden talks about it in the book, is that going into that series in the, in the eyes of so many people, uh, not necessarily the players, but some, uh, but in the eyes of so many players, the series was supposed to be great because it was going to show off the greatness of the Canadian hockey players and how dominant they would be, could be, Mm. and show the world that hockey is our game. And the Soviets are number two and a distant number two when the series is over. Well, obviously it didn't unfold that way, but it became great for other reasons because of the drama that was involved, because of how the games themselves unfolded, because of the comeback, because of the, the Henderson goal, because of how the game has changed forever because of that series. So it it became great, it stayed great, but a different kind of great. And that's, we remember for a lot of things that came out of that series and ultimately winning it is the the one thing that makes sure it never goes away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I had thought, I was doing a little bit of research uh, uh, while reading this book, and I thought, because I know there was conversation about uh, Henderson going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's in a number of Hall of Fames. He's been uh, commemorated and remembered. Um, but he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame um, because of his sort of career rather than, you know, the moment. And may, many people don't know. He didn't just score that one goal. It was, was not it a three games in a row that he scored um, the winning goal. Um, I know Henderson s- seems to pull out least publicly, you know, not really mind, but, um, what are, what are your thoughts around Paul Henderson being in the hockey hall of fame?
1: I think he should be in, uh, I know that, as you mentioned, people talk about the greater body of work and all that. I still think he was a very good NHL and WHA player. You don't get named to a roster. Uh, and play all eight games uh, in a series like that, of that magnitude with the stars that were selected for that roster, you don't get there unless you're a really good player yourself. And then to perform the way he did on that stage with the emotions and the pressures that were involved, uh, is just staggering. And to do it through injury, to have a concussion in the fifth game and beg the coaches to let you go back in, and then, as you mentioned, score three, you know, if they'd not blown the fifth game, uh, he would have scored the winning goal in the final four games, the game-winning goal. So, I mean, it was a staggering performance. And uh, so I think he deserves to be in. And we've put some of the the Soviet players in, like trechyak and Yakishev, and deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, but how do we measure their greatness when we only had limited series of them playing our best? And... You know, when they played internationally, we weren't sending our best for the longest while. And, you know, some of the other countries didn't measure up to what the ability of that team was. Um, And yet they're in. And, you know, I always say and others say, you know, the guy who let in the three goals is in the Hall of Fame. The guy who scored them isn't. And uh, (laughs) Wow. You know, it's uh, but I think he and others from the Soviets should be in and, and recognized for all that they accomplished in their careers, but you're measuring them with a different stick too. So uh, that's why I think uh, you know Paul deserves to be in. Nice. Uh,
0: one person who is in the Hockey Hall of Fame, who didn't play in the series, but was the voice of this series for so many Canadians, uh, is Foster Hewitt. Um, I have a an affinity for I'm a big baseball fan. So uh, in Toronto, Tom and Jerry uh, to me for so many years, uh, they both were the voice of summer. I would hear their voice and whether it was a cloudy day like today um, or not, I would feel warm inside. It was like finally winter is over and summer is here. Um, tell me about, you know, I'm I'm I never, I don't remember Foster Hewitt. I I wasn't uh, born when when the series happened. But tell me about the importance, if you can, of of Foster Hewitt, of his voice, and of the color that he brought to the series for so many Canadians.
1: Well, I mean, he was the voice of of hockey in English Canada from the beginning, from when broadcasting started. He shoots, he scores. That's That's him, Foster Hewitt. And so he was uh, convinced to come out of retirement to called his series because people felt the magnitude of the series Canada first time all the rest of it that Foster was the guy who deserved to be the voice and Bob Cole who was working for CBC Radio at the time he was the voice on radio uh in English Canada so okay two Hall of Famers right there and back then of course she didn't have all the broadcasts that we have today so there weren't a lot of play-by-play voices that you would call on and there weren't uh, you know, there was only two Canadian teams. So it wasn't like you were had all these cities to look at and say, well, he's been calling games here for years. And years. so it was, a you know, a smaller pool. And then Foster, just given the history, and this was going to be history in the making, uh, made sense. And, uh, you know, he struggled with a few names at times, but I can only imagine how tough it would be when you've not seen Soviet names before and you have to start uh, figuring, it, figuring them out. And you didn't have names on the back. In those days either so you know it was a steep learning curve and he wasn't a kid but he, he he made a great call he and brian conacher who did the color uh they were outstanding to listen to and bob was great on the radio and uh yeah it was uh and i know i tell the story that bob became very good friends with the the soviet coaching staff and uh but he spent time with the with the interpreter that was with the team Uh, in the days leading up and studied every name and would rehearse them the pronunciation with the Soviets to make sure he was getting them right. And then he shared his list of names and the phonetics spellings with Foster, so that uh, who was his idol and who gave him a start in the business. um, uh, So he could share with him uh, the names and make sure he got them right.
0: Yeah. What would the NHL look like today? Would it, would it be the same? Would we have players from all over the world? Um, would we have, you know, the Russian superstars, uh, that, that we've seen over the number of years, um, or, or would it, would, would the NHL be a different league without 1972? What do you think?
1: I think we probably would have, you know, the Europeans and the, the Russians, uh, it might've taken longer than it did for it to happen because of the exposure and the awareness that that, that series created. I mean, part of what, you know, for years there was, you know, players were had to defect out of their country. you smuggled out of their country to to come over to play in North America. But when the iron curtain fell and the Soviet union turned into Russia, then that all changed and the doors opened and there was much more, know of an embracing of allowing their players to come over and play in the nhl so i guess given the politics of the day it would have happened Uh, but it it happened in large part because it started out of that 72 series a whole different mindset was created what did uh what did the
0: the summit series mean to you at the time
1: well i was uh just about going to turn fourteen, was a hockey crazy kid, um, and yeah, it, I think we had a mindset at the time as kids that you know because in the world, as I mentioned earlier, we didn't know a lot about the Soviets other than that they were that scary image on the newsreels and mm. that they were the bad guys in the world. We were the good guys and they were the bad guys in the world, and that's this was good versus evil. And you know again, you, and it's the pride in who we are and our players and wanting to be the best and and the thought of losing to the dreaded evil empire, yeah uh, you know, and I'm not being sarcastic, that's how you felt that couldn't sure. lose to these guys. that's that's wrong. Our, our world won't be a, a good place anymore if that happens where we can't lose anything to these guys because of what they represented on a political stage.
0: That's so true, and I'm wondering, Scott, does it does it mean anything different to you today, after all these years?
1: Um, Well, I guess we don't look at the world in quite the same prism. Although what's happening in Russia now, Mm. you know, the evil empire is back. I I guess I look at it as still. You don't have that same emotion that you you would have had back in the day, but I have just, I guess, a greater appreciation for. Uh, having talked to all the players and coaches and whatnot the, of, of the emotion and the pressure uh, they were under and what they were going through at the time to make sure we were all happy when it was all said and done. Nice.
0: Uh, Scott Morrison, this has been a, a wonderful chat. The book is really great. Uh, I love how it's separated uh, on a game by game basis. Um, it's a great book for anybody who remembers that time. But as well for any hockey fan or sports fan out there, uh, I think it's a wonderful book uh, just to read, and as it's as if you're you're there and you're experiencing it. So just a wonderful book. Uh, 1972, the series that changed hockey forever. My guest has been Scott Morrison. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much.